This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Well, again, thank you so much for being here this morning. And I know I joked with you a little bit earlier because it was a little eh, stale going on. But, uh, hey, God is good. I am excited to be here. And uh, uh, it's been a couple weeks, so uh, I get all the funnies and I get all the comments about Dan let us out early and all of those things. That's what he's supposed to do, right? Like, that's part of the job of, you know, so I'm the one that can keep you longer, and then everybody's like, oh, Dan is here, we get out early, and then you get me, so uh, my goal today is not to do that, my goal is to uh, get you out on time, I don't know what on time is, I guess on every flyer that we pass out, on anything that I have, like I'm looking at one of them where I was, yeah, it says 1030, there is no end time, the next thing that we do on Sunday morning says 5 p.m., I don't have an end time, so depending on how we look at this, uh, I've got from 10.30 until about 5 because we have something else that happens at 5, um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, we do have a business meeting, which is um, the most exciting thing that any church does. If you've not had entertainment in the last couple months, I would encourage you, stick around, people will scream, throw things, all of that will take place in about an hour from now, um, and it will be a lot of fun. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to go through a couple things that will be easy, painless, uh, but it is something that we have to do. I'm actually very excited about the, the business meeting because we are uh, voting in four new deacons, which is going to be so incredibly helpful for our church. We're going to look at our budget stuff, um, but uh, we've got, I've got a long time. You know what? You guys gave me a few minutes extra. We didn't do the, the communion, and so normally I get up here, it's between 11 and about 5 or 10 after, and so actually I have an extra like 10 to 15 minutes to go, so, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to be with you this morning and to uh, share what is on my heart, and uh, this morning we are continuing in our series in Galatians, we will be in chapter 4, uh, I believe that this is the 22nd week in the book of Galatians. For somebody that might be new, you might be going, oh my word, like that's a long time for six chapter book and we're only in chapter four. Uh, it is a long time, but here's the reality of that. I believe that it's important for one, a couple things. I am in no hurry uh, because there's, there's nowhere that we're going and I think that it's incredibly important not to just teach the word of God but as best as we can to lay it out there. This is what it is and this is what it means to us every day. Um, but also with that, uh, we've been in the weeds, if you will, of Galatians and so today for just a couple moments, I want to I step back, I want to give a little bit of a reminder. Why have we done this? Why have we spent 22 weeks in the book of Galatians, in four chapters, not even four chapters because we're not finished with it. Why would we do that? I said it early on when we started this. The goal of this book is that we would leave having a greater understanding of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? So many people walk in and out of church and they believe the gospel is, it, it is, it's that Jesus died, rose again, that's the gospel, that we would have everlasting life. But so many people walk away and they go, well, I, I, I know Jesus in my heart. 
And I've, I've said that prayer or I've done that thing, so I'm, I'm okay. Well, see, the gospel doesn't stop with that. The gospel is, is all of our lives, and it's inundated in every single thing that we do in and through our life. And so, we, I, I stated early on, one of the goals is that we would truly grasp what is the gospel message. And the other thing is that the gospel is freeing to you and me. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it should be freedom. It should be freeing that I'm not stuck to certain things that I have to do. But so many of us live in such a manner. In this book, Paul is addressing the Judaizers who were coming in and they were teaching just the opposite. They were not teaching the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. They were teaching the bondage of the law. But what they were doing, they were saying is, hey, you need Jesus, but you need to continue to adhere to all of these other things that the law brings to us. And that is your justification. That is what's going to give you a right standing before God. And Paul says... Paul becomes, he's nervous, he's scared, he's, he's angry. He says, you guys have, you guys have you, you've, you've heard these things, you've heard the gospel, you came to know Christ, now you're going back to what these guys are saying. And he writes this letter, fighting all of those things. He's fighting, he's arguing, if you will. Yeah. No, this isn't what the gospel isn't about you having Jesus plus all of this. The gospel is Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the grace of God. It's God offering to you what you cannot do for yourself. God did for you. And he's saying, hey, don't forget these things. So I hit on that early, early on. And we've hit on it every week that we've been in this study. The importance that it is not Jesus plus anything else. But let me just remind you, before we get really upset, you got to stop. If we were to just stop and think back, most everybody that sits in this room is, I would say most of you have been in church at some way, shape, or form in your life. You've had the entire counsel of the Word of God. You've had teaching. You've had a lot of different uh, doctrinal backgrounds, you might go, well, I didn't sit in any Bible classes, or I didn't know, but you've sat under a, a, hopefully a Bible teaching pastor that has taught you the Word of God. These people didn't have a lot of what we have. And the other aspect of that is this. What is taught today in religion? It's the same exact thing. It's still the same thing. If you go to ask your friends about salvation, you go to ask your friends, what makes you right before God? They're going to tell you what? I think I'm a good person. I've done these things. I do these things. I act this way. I believe that there is a God, and therefore I live my life. I live my life according to the golden rule. Well, good for you. There's a lot of people that have lived their lives according to the golden rule that did not make it to heaven because they didn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so when we look at all of these things, it's happening today. It's in our society today. There's people that are everywhere that have religion because they, they believe in their God, their deity, but they have to work to do all of these other things. And Paul is saying, hey, stop. 
Jesus came, took away the behavior as a part of earning his favor. Jesus said, it's not any form of faith plus. Jesus came and completely radically changed everything. And he said, it's faith in me, period. Faith and trust in me, period. If you tell people that today, they say what to you? Wait a second. That's all? What do you get? It's too good to be true. I don't know how many countless times I've heard that same thing. Oh, there's, there's got to be more to this. And so Jesus came, and what did God do? God came, and I stated this just a moment ago. He did for you and I that which we cannot do for ourselves. He shifted the burden from my shoulders to his own. And we constantly, nonstop, want to bring it back to our own shoulders. I can do it. I can do it. I can do this. I can do this. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. Jesus took all that on his own. He's the one who lived the sinless life. He died and paid the penalty for sin. He rose again that we might have a new life. He offers a reconciled relationship to God the Father. And if all of those things, if we would turn from sin, if we would turn from ourselves, place that faith and trust in Him. Today, I am concluding chapter number four. I've kind of put it this way in some regards. It's really almost the, it's like the beginning of the end of the book. Because at this point, there's a lot of the doctrinal and the theology and the things that are going to kind of change to a lot of practical application points for the next couple uh, chapters. If you have studied much of anything that Paul has done, a lot of Paul's books are this way. He dives deep into doctrine, and then he comes back and gives you some practical applications. What does that mean for us? And so today we're kind of coming, and there's kind of a, uh, a place that we have a decision to make. If you look on your notes, it says what? The choice is yours. The choice is ours. And Paul would look at them and say the same thing. Hey, I have now, he's, he's basically, this is my last argument for you. I have done everything I can to lay out why you need to adhere to the grace of God as opposed to why we need to do all the things of the law. And he says, this is my last kind of effort. Now the choice is on you. And so we look at this, Paul Today is going to look at chapter 4, and we've spent really the last two chapters, all of chapter 4, most of chapter 3, we're looking at what? Paul's arguments for why, why the grace of God, why not the law? He's went back to Genesis, right? We looked at Abraham's faith, Genesis 12 and 15 and so on and so forth. We looked at that. Uh, It seems like it's been a really long time ago, but we looked at all of that. But it always goes back to faith. Salvation always goes back to faith. Even when he, again, he uses this. Abraham was accounted righteous. When was Abraham accounted righteous? When his faith was in God. What else? Was it when he, it was a belief. Was it when the law and circumcision happened? No. Because the law came hundreds of years later. Circumcision came years later. God accounted Abraham righteous because of his belief, because of his faith in God, not because he was circumcised and not because he adhered to the law. So if we remember all of those things, so Paul now again, he's going back. And in this passage of scripture, verse 24, he says that he's using an allegory. Which things are an allegory 
for these two covenants. Paul is going to begin to use an allegory of, uh, really, he's taking a historic event and giving a spiritual point in this, these next several verses. And again, it's the beginning of the rest of the letter, if you will, the choice being ours. The choice being ours. I know Dan hit on the passage where, where the, the, he spoke of the, the burden that, that comes to a pastor or the burden that Paul may have held. And really, I would say it this way. If you have taught anything, you have had a burden in your teaching. If you teach, even if you just, I teach class at a, at a public school or at a Christian school or whatever it is. If you teach anything, the point of teaching is what? I'm going to teach so that you would what? Learn and receive. As a teacher, there's an understanding. As a teacher, I, I taught in a classroom. I don't know how good of a teacher I was in a classroom, but I taught in a, t- in a classroom for about six, seven years. I never intended or was a goal that my students would fail the test. It was actually a great burden on me when kids would do poorly on a test that I would give. Mike teaches a Sunday, or Sunday school, Sunday Bible study. Kenny teaches children. Uh, Matt has been teaching a little bit with me on Sunday nights. Other men have taught in this room. The goal of teaching is that we would get it. Like, I want to present information. I want you to leave and go, wow, I got something. There's nothing greater as a teacher than when the light bulb goes off on a student. I've used the analogy as a coach. I've coached baseball. And you'll sit down and you'll, you'll, get, you'll be on a knee right in front of the guy. And you'll be like, all right, do these things. Let's see this. Let's, let's watch this movement. Let's do whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they, they try it and they try it and they try it. And then they do it. And you're like, that was it. And they look at you and it's like, oh. There's a great burden for Paul. There's a great burden for myself. There's a great burden for anybody that teaches that the people that get it. If you have children, what is your goal? You want your kids to get it. We teach them and we raise them and we train them up. I don't have a child that's out of my house yet. But it's getting closer every day. My oldest just turned 15 yesterday. My oldest turned 15. I have about three to four years of her in my home. Do you know what my prayer is? My prayer is that I've done a, a good job as a father of discipling Madison or discipling Riley or Brinley or EJ. That when they, they come to that age where they go out on their own, they go to college or they get a job and they do the things that they would make wise decisions. The choice at some point is on them. But the burden is always on me as a teacher, as a parent. I just hope that they get it. And if they don't, then I'll constantly be praying and I'll constantly have that burden. Oh, I just pray that my child would make that decision and come back to God. But I can't do those things for them. Paul had this burden. Paul had all of these things. And he comes one more time. One more time to the people that he loves, to the churches there in Galatia, and he comes back to them again, and he says, listen, please, I just want to explain it one last time. It would be me as a dad. Madison, I want you to get it one last time. This is all I have. I hope you get it. It would have been my mom and dad doing the same thing to me. It would have been your parents doing the same thing to you. And then we go back and we do what? We pray, and we pray, and we pray. 
my decisions at this point. I'm a 39-year-old man. My parents pray for me to make the right decisions, but at the end of the day, I have to make that decision. And I pray that I don't disappoint my parents, but I could very easily make decisions that would make my parents disappointed. And they would, they would go, ah, man, we taught you better than that. Paul had a burden that his people would understand that the Galatian church would grasp it. And he goes one last time. And this morning, I want to take you to that one last time of Paul just writing it out again. Here he does it in an allegorical form. That was like a big word. Allegorical. Is that a word? Usually if I do that, that's not a word. Notice I look at Tammy. This is like the bad thing of being up here. I have a proofreading English master over here and an English master over here on the front row. And every time I say one of those not right words in English... Tammy just shakes her head. <laughs> Charlotte is sweet. And she just smiles. She does nothing. Tammy just goes. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, 21 through 31. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to go. I'm not going to read it like I often do is just read that big chunk. I'm going to go verse by verse by verse reading through it and kind of giving some commentary. And then the latter... Uh, hour and a half of my sermon, I'm going to give you a couple points to go with the, uh, the sermon there. But uh, uh, So Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll be, verse 21. I do pray that you have a copy of the Word of God. If not, they will be on, uh, on the screens up there. Um, but let me encourage you, I say this often, uh, I know in our technology 2019, can you believe 2020 is like not, like we're right there, I can see it. It's crazy. But uh, I know the day and age in which we live and everything's on the phone or on the iPad or the tablet or whatever it is that you carry. I, I, maybe I'm just old school enough, but there's nothing better than just open up the Word of God and flipping through it. And so I would encourage you when you come to church, uh, we here at Oasis will teach through the Word of God. And uh, I pray that you'll flip through it with us as we go. But let's pray and then we'll dive into God's Word. Father, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to come together. And Lord, as Paul in this passage kind of gives one last uh, um, encouragement, one last uh, help to these people that were struggling with, with the law and struggling with the freedoms that they are supposed to have in Christ. I believe every person in this room has those same decisions to make. And Lord, help us to see it. Uh, help us to, to, to put uh, some application to it to the, this morning that we can see the freedoms that we have in you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Verse 21 says this. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Paul is writing and he says this. He asks them a question. Do, you're desiring to be under the law. Do you hear it? He's just really, really easy. Are you hearing, are you hearing this law? Are you seeing it? And really he's looking at them and he goes, he's basically saying, you all are masters of the law. They're masters of the law. But they couldn't grasp, they couldn't discern between the law and grace. And then he begins to go through and to teach some more in verses 22 and 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh 
But he of the free woman was by promise. There was a great allegory being taken place as Paul makes the reference. Which things are an allegory in verse 24? Two of the greatest allegories of, of all time. We've got Gulliver's Travel. You've got Pilgrim's Progress. But here we've got Paul writing an allegory. He is going back to a historical event and he's going to use that and he's going to twist it to make a spiritual point. And I would say that there is a great uh, hesitancy on anyone's part. Don't go to the Bible and just begin to make up your own allegorical thoughts. Um, but Paul was taking and he, he did these things. And, and, and I believe that God's word allowed him to do that. I believe in all of those things. And we, that's a whole other story there. But in verse 22, Abraham had two sons. And so uh, just kind of trek with me as we go through this. First was, a bond, was of a bondwoman. The son's name was, anybody know? Ishmael. So the first son was from a bondwoman, Ishmael, whose mother was Hagar, who was an Egyptian slave of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The second son was Isaac, whose mother was Sarah. The first mother was that of someone who was lost, someone it says was of the flesh, someone who was in bondage, in slavery. The free woman was through promise. See, if you go through the story, and I'm not going to take a, a lot of time this morning, but as we go through the story, you go back to Genesis, and you go through all of those things. Genesis 12, God promised Abram a seed, right? Genesis 15 comes around. Abram looks at God, and he says, but I have no heir. There is no, there's no seed that's come from me. I don't, I don't have a child of my own. Chapter number 16, what does he do? What does he do? Who can help me out? What does Sarah and Abraham do? They don't have a child of their own, so what are they going to do? They go find somebody that can give them a child, right? They figure God said there would be a seed. We better figure out how, to how this is going to happen because Sarah couldn't. So they go and they, they find this bondwoman. They find Hagar, the slave of Sarah, and they take manner, matters into where? Their own hands. God, I've got this. I'll help you out. Anybody ever helped out God? Any of you thought you were helping out God? Thank you, Tommy. I have, and Tommy has. <laughs> Many times I can look back at my own life and think, man, I have done a, I've done a good job. I've, I've tried to help God out. Because certainly when he said to do this and and it didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. I gotta, I've got to step in. So what do they do? They step in. Ishmael comes, it says, according to the flesh. It was selfish. It was fleshly. But I don't want us to forget how often that we do things on our own, but yet we expect God's blessing. Think of this and don't remember. Don't forget this. God won't and cannot bless our fleshly efforts. Isaac, however, was born of a free woman. See, conception was supernatural in that Abram was old and Sarah was old. They were beyond the age. Sarah was, her womb was closed up. They could not have children. They, they could not do that. No, it wasn't supernatural, miraculous in the sense that how Jesus was born because it was two people coming together. But it was supernatural in the sense that she was beyond age to have babies. Some of you are like, if that was a supernatural, 
miraculous happening right now, we would have a major problem. <laughs> but this is what happens. At 100 years old, she gives birth. It was supernatural. It was what? Of the promise. Ishmael's conception represents man's way, that of flesh. The conception of Sarah is that of promise. God's way, that of what? Faith. As we continue on, chapter verses 24 to 27. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, I'm sorry, uh, for it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an unhusband. So as we look at this allegory, what is this looking at? We're looking at Mount Sinai. So as we go through this, Paul goes a little bit deeper. He's hit on Abraham, or he's hit on Hagar and, and Ishmael. He's hit on Sarah and, and Isaac. Now he takes it one more step further. And again, he's talking to people that would know exactly what we're talking about. These people knew the law. They knew exactly what was taking place. Mount Sinai would have been where what happened? The Mosaic Covenant was given. If we look at this passage of Scripture, it speaks to what? Uh, the Sinai, which gendered to bondage, which is Agar for in verse 25. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth. Where does that answer to Jerusalem? Well, what is Jerusalem? Jerusalem would have been uh, here on earth, would have been the place. It would have been the authority of Judaism. It would have been the place where all of these laws would have been mandated. It would have been that legal place that they would have went to. So you've got Mount Sinai. You're looking at where the law was happening, where Moses went up and the law was given to him. And you've got Jerusalem. So now I've got to adhere to this law. And who's going to help me adhere to this law? Jerusalem. So as we look at this, Paul, of all the people, would have been able to speak to that, right? He was the master of the law. He was the master. He kept the law. And if it wasn't kept, he dealt with it. He knew exactly what that was. He knew exactly of the bondage that it would have been to be uh, uh, bound to this Mosaic law. He would have known exactly what it would to be with Jerusalem bound in that earthly, that earthly slavery of up here adhering to the law. See, Mount Sinai would require the chosen people to keep all of the commands, thus producing religious slavery that could never be escaped. If you think that you can constantly do right to earn your righteousness, you can never leave that slavery, ever. Those folks at that time could never leave the bondage of that slavery because they had to adhere to all of it all of the time. So as we keep on moving, Ishmael would eventually move into the desert, to the east and to the south of the promised land and become what? Arabia. Let's go with us. What happens today? 4,000 plus years later in this same region of the world. 
It's the same exact thing. So we've got Ishmael who left, and we'll get to that in just a few moments, but he left, and Arab and Israel, now 4,000 years later, are still at, at fighting. They still are at odds with each other. God chose Jerusalem to uphold the covenant. It would be where Jesus would be rejected, and thus today still a place of slavery with unbelief, of self-righteousness, of Christ rejecting, of ignoring the grace of God. And I would say to you this morning, I just landed on Tuesday morning from there. And if you think it's a place of freedom, you've never been. You think, well, it's the, it's the place that Jesus went. It's, the, it's a holy place. It's the holy land. And I'll promise you this. Ty was with us. Ty goes to Southern Hills, and I was shocked to look over and see Ty this morning. But Ty was with us on our trip. When you walk around and you see, we read about the phylacteries that are in the Bible, and you read about things being bound to the forehead and things being bound upon the wrists, and you read about all of these things, and then you go there and you see it, and you watch them kiss a wall, and you watch them do the things that they are doing to uphold a law. They do not have freedom. They are bound in chains, hoping that their law abiding will get them somewhere. And it doesn't. There's no freedom in that. As I was there, if there was one thing that just constantly, and I think a lot of it was just because this is what I've been studying for so long, if there was one thing that was absolutely constant is how much bondage the law brings. They're bound to it. They feel that they have to do those things. They don't understand the grace of God. And so as we look at this, Paul is writing this and he is speaking to all of these things in verse 26 and 27. So in verses 24 and 25, we see this is the bondage of the law. And he goes, now here in 26, 27, we see now this is to come, but Jerusalem, which is above This is a new Jerusalem. This is one day God is coming back. One day Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to take over. The freedom that comes in that is what we're looking at. And I'll be real honest. These two verses could be like a month, two months, three months of sermons. So I'm going to help you all out, and I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to skim it very, very, very lightly. Okay? Um, Mike is teaching in the book of Revelation at uh, 9.15. If you want a lot more of that, uh, enjoy there. I'm not going into that depth today. But we look at this, and we see that there's the final covenant. Hebrews 12 and verse 18, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. But in 22 it says this, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. The inhabitants of earthly Jerusalem are free. One day heavenly Jerusalem will descend to earth. See, John 3 speaks of being born again, or literally it's to be born from above. When we accept Christ, we experience that. Colossians 1 and verse 13 says this, Who hath delivered us 
from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. God hath delivered us. God is the one that translates us into the kingdom of his dear son. God is the one. It's nothing that you do that can make that happen. Justification. I taught this for two weeks a long time ago. But justification is what? It is the act of God whereby you are declared righteous. The act of God. It's not because my works over the course of time. No, it is the act of placing faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. In that moment, I've been declared righteous before him. As I look at this, it says what? That have been translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. God delivered us. And it was in the earthly Jerusalem that Jesus was rejected and crucified. Paul is pointing out the parallel. The freedom of the free woman and the bondwoman's child. Hagar represented the law. Mount Sinai. Earthly Jerusalem. The, the keepers of the law. Sarah represented Mount Zion. And the freedom of the, and the redemption of now we will come into the fullness of that blessing of that new covenant. There's a lot more depth that I could go into. But Paul looks at them and he kind of lays all these things out and he says, listen, churches, for me I would say, listen, church, we have a choice to be made. I can continually work and attempt to do all that I can to come to a place. But you will never, ever find freedom in that. Because it's all based on what I or you do. Or I can come to a realization. I can come to the place and say, God, your grace is sufficient for me. It is in your grace, God doing in and through and for you, which you cannot do on your own. I cannot earn salvation on my own. Listen, the grace of God, it goes beyond earning or, or it goes beyond just salvation. And we talked about all these things. But before I get to the points here this morning, aren't you excited? You're like, points, there's more. Before we go to that, listen though, it's the grace of God. God's grace is not just for salvation. See, it's God's grace that allows me to know his word. It's God's grace that allows me to win all, you know what breaks loose in my life. It's the grace of God that allows me to sustain. It's the grace of God that will teach me and walk with me and show me. It's the grace of God that does those things. It's nothing that I can do. It's God's grace that does that. And God's grace will sustain you, not just for salvation, but every day of your life. But pastor, you don't understand my financial circumstance. I don't. But God does, and his grace will walk with you. But you don't understand the loss that I just had. I may not be able to understand it, but God was not caught off guard. And God's grace will sustain you. God's grace will give you everything that you need. But pastor, you don't. But pastor, you don't. I may not ever understand where you're at. But I don't have to. God already does. See, I can continue to work to make myself happy. Or I can say, God, I really don't understand where I'm at. But I trust, I have faith that you already are good with this. And you're going to walk with me through it. Let me give you... 
a couple simple thoughts, and I promise these are not long. Why are we the children of promise? If we continue to go through this, there's four verses left, 28, 29, 30, 31. Verse 28 says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was... So Paul is writing, he's talking to who? What are the brethren? Children of promise. The brethren are those that know Christ as Savior. The brethren are those who are uh, believers. He looks at them and he says, Hey, now brethren, we are the children of promise. Why? Why are we the children of promise? Why? I believe that this is... These next couple moments can be very impactful. I hope that you'll take something from this in the word of God. But the grace and freedom that we have in Christ, the promise, the freedom, the joy, the peace, the whatever you want to put there that God's word tells us is not because of what I've done. See, the greatest joy that I have in my salvation, now there's a lot of joy, but one of the great joys in my salvation is knowing that it's not because I've done something right or when I've done something wrong, it's taken from me. It's a joy, it's a peace in knowing that I am a child of promise. I am God's child. I'm in His hands. The freedom that we have in Christ is not based on you or I, but it's on Christ. It's the power and miraculous work of God. How was Isaac born? Out of faith. How are you and I born again? By faith. How was Isaac formed in his mother's womb? By faith. How was Christ formed in our hearts? By faith. Did, it, did Isaac have anything to do? Let me ask this. Did the law have anything to do with Isaac being born? No. How did it happen? By God. By, by faith. Did, did the law have anything to do with you coming to know Christ? No, only by faith. Listen, you and I would never come to Christ on our own, but by God's grace that he would reach down and show you an understanding of the grace of God that you need the grace of God. If it weren't for God's grace, I wouldn't, I'm not seeking after God. There's not a person in here that would seek after God because in and of ourselves, the sin fleshful people that we are prior to God, we don't seek after that. It's by faith. Isaac was born on the principle the same that we are. Romans 4.19 speaks of Abraham and Sarah both being dead in that area of their life. What does the word of God say about you and I? We were dead in our sin and trespasses. What? But But that God would reach down and quicken us. That he would reach down and bring us to life. He would give us life. Why are we children of promise? Because of God's amazing grace. So why then would we say, I've got this under control, God? Why? Listen, there's some of you right now that are sitting in this room that are saying, well, pastor... I get that. I'm not really, I don't really follow. I'm not really religious. I'm not this. I don't really, I'm okay. And you, you would say, I don't need that. 
And that's a decision that you have to make. I can't force that upon you. But there's others of you that sit in this room and you would say, oh, no, it's not about God. It's not about me and my works. I I know that I need to come to know Christ as Savior by and it's only in and through God. You would say you would no doubt. I, I understand that. But then we live our lives the opposite. We live our lives the opposite. I can't get rid of this addiction. I can't figure out my finances. I can't heal my marriage. I can't do this. I can't do that. Why would this? Why would that? And we live our lives based on what? What I can and cannot do. God says, no, 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 no. Stop. Time out. Enough. You can't. And that's the issue. Now realize that you can't and say, God, here it is. Listen, if you are an addictive of anything, any form of addiction, you can't stop it. Only God in and through you. But what do we have to do? Be obedient. Don't just sit here. Like some of you are like, oh, sweet, I can just go home and do nothing. And God's just going, bah. That's not how God works. Always obedience with God. There's action steps for every person that sits in this room, and it always go back to obedience. But all of that happens through what? Me saying yes, God, and no to me. i got to keep moving. Why are we the children of promise? Not because of you, but because of God. Second thought, this. Why is there such outrage over the promise? If we go to 29, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, Ishmael persecuted Isaac, they persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now, listen, I wish I could just give you the answer, and we could all be done, why do those that don't know Christ hate those that love Christ, I, 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 I wish I could just make it all pretty, and we would all understand it, we could all live and be happy and whatever, I pray for those that don't know Christ to come to know Christ, I sincerely desire that they do. The people that hate us the most, whatever it is. Why does the atheist have a problem that I love Jesus? I am not hindering their life at all. So don't stand outside of my house with a sign that says you can't love God. Like, I don't stand outside of your house. But it's always been. And it will always be. And I'm not here to, we're not getting into politics, but, but this is, we're looking at this. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now. Why is there outrage over the promise? I go back to this thought that I've often said, and scripture speaks of it. God's word is very clear that you and I were created for one reason and one reason only. And that was to be in relationship or worship God Almighty. Every person that was ever born has a desire to worship. You will worship something. I've said this countless times. You go to the deepest, darkest jungles where the only people that they've ever seen are the people within their tribe. They are worshiping something. 
It's the sun god, the moon god, the star god, the tree, the flower, the plant, the whatever it is. They will worship something because in us it is our innate desire created by God to worship God. Now that God might be different because we may not know different. People in this room, you worship something. Some of you it's sports, some of you it's your body, some of you it's... Uh, it's entertainment, it's whatever, but we worship money, we worship work, we worship, we worship, we worship. Well, no, I don't. No, we do. We've also been given a conscience, a conscience to know right from wrong. And even inside of this room right here of believers, people that would say, oh, I love Jesus. Until the, you slide a little bit, you know, I'm not really going to church as much as I ought to. Not reading my Bible the way that I ought to. And the guy that sits beside you, that's your friend, is on fire for God. What do we say? Well, they're just a little bit over. They're a little extreme with their love of Jesus. Inside of the walls of the church, we do the same thing. Why? Because it's convicting when somebody is truly following God, and I know that I'm not. To those that don't know God, it's convicting when somebody is honoring God, even though they have no idea what that is. Why do they hate you? They don't hate you. They hate God. They hate law. They hate morality. They hate all of these things. They don't hate you. They hate God, even though they have no idea what that means. What happened to Paul? Paul was the greatest persecutor of church. What happened to Paul? All of his best friends that he used to do all of this running around with, what did they do? They desired, they plotted to kill him. These were the greatest law-abiding people. And all of a sudden, Paul comes to know Christ. He begins to love Jesus. He begins to transform the world. Not him, but he begins to teach and to do these things. What happens? We, we, need, we need this guy dead. We need him dead. Why is there outrage? As we look at this, we see the two. We see the flesh. We see the spirit. God created us in such a manner that we would worship. And I believe there's outrage based on this third point, and it's this. Why we must have no compromise. I believe there's a great outrage because of compromise. Nevertheless, in verse number 30, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. I'm not going to cross-reference and go back into Genesis, but basically Sarah came to a place and she said, listen, they have to go. They have to go. Listen, in our lives, there's things in our life that have to go. So long as they're crept in, so long as they are there, guess what? You will constantly have outrage over those that are of the promise. In the house and outside of the house. Because we can't live and dwell in and amongst sin and be who we're supposed to be for God. Like, ah, oh, that stinks. It does. It hurts. Why do I become convicted? Why does my stomach stir? Why, when I was a child, would my stomach like 
knots would get in my stomach when I'm done wrong and I'm going home. I'm like, oh, I hope mom doesn't figure that one out. Right? Today, as a grown adult, if you did something that you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I should have done that, and you kind of get that little stomach going in your belly, while the consciousness of God is in you, we cannot live and dwell with it. It has to be cast out. In this time, in Genesis, there had to have been a, a casting out of. Isaac and Ishmael couldn't dwell together. Sarah comes into the picture and she says, look, Abraham, you've got to get them out of here. You think Abraham was like, oh, that's a great idea. Why don't I just tell my son never to see you again? No. But he had to. There's things in our lives that you have to say no. Enough is enough is enough is enough. And I cannot allow it in my life any longer. I have to cast it out. It has to be gone. God will not have compromise. We must deal severely with it. It produces nothing of worth. Romans 7, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Romans 5, 8, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Verse number 7, uh, in 8, 5, 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Listen, in that moment, the flesh rules and reigns, and we have to get rid of it. This morning, if it's a point or if it's just a conclusion, the choice is yours. We either live in bondage or we live in freedom. Paul was fighting, arguing, burdensome to the the people that he was writing to. He loved them. He was pleading with them one last time. Are you going to to live in that way and be bound and enslaved to this law? Or are you going to trust God? Are you going to completely give God everything and have the freedom of God? He says, listen, the choice is yours. I would say this morning... The choice is ours. As an individual, every day I have to look in the mirror. Will I be obedient to God and live in freedom? Or will I be obedient to myself and live in bondage? That's what we do. Will I cast out the junk in my life and say enough is enough? Listen, I can make an excuse and I can make a reason to do just about anything that I want. I can. The same can be made with the scripture. I can take different passages of scripture and make it, twist it, and turn it into whatever I want it to be and say, well, this is what, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay to do these things. Or I can just stop and say, God, I know. I know that I'm making an excuse so that I can continue to do this. I know that I'm this. It has to be gone. Listen, that choice is ours. I can come to the place in my life, and I pray that this is where we as a church are, where we just fall so deeply in love with God, that my heart is to serve. My heart is to give. 
My heart is to go the extra mile to love people, to love God, to do those things. And I don't do it thinking that that is what's making me better. The problem is so many people serve and give because they think, well, if, uh, man, I haven't been in church in two weeks. I haven't been in church in three weeks. And, and uh, oh, oh, well, well, God, what do you think? What do you, what do you, what do you, no, here's the reality. God doesn't love you less because you didn't come to church today. God loves you. Period. God doesn't love you more today because you served in the nursery last week. It's not how it works. But when I don't serve and I have a love of God, I can't not do it. Because it stirs me to the point that I have to do it. I say it all the time. Maybe it's been a while. I do not serve you as the people of Oasis Baptist Church. (gasps) How dare you? I don't. I don't serve you. I serve God. The joy that I get of serving God, I have the opportunity to serve you. So I don't serve you, I serve God. And in serving God, I get to serve you. When our heart is right, that's the mentality. But when my heart is right, when my heart isn't wrong or isn't right, here's what I do. I serve you. And when I serve you and you don't do what I think is acceptable, I get really irritated with you and it's not very much fun. So you know what I do? I go in my office and I pout a little bit. Can you believe that person? Can you believe this person? Can you believe they expect this? Can you believe that? That's what I do. You laugh. That's what you do. You ain't no better. Man, I've been here. I've been serving this nursery for 10 years. I think my time's up. Really? Your time is up? Please help me where the timeline is where I served enough and God said, hey, you've done your job. No, when we serve God, we serve God. And we get to serve others in that process. That's freedom. That's the joy that God gives us. That's, the, that's, the, that's freedom. Otherwise, we have to do it. And if I have to do it, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at you and go, oh, they're not as good as me. Because you know how many hours I've spent mopping this floor? It's bondage. It's slavery. That's all that it is. I believe with everything in me, most churches and Christians in the world, and I shouldn't say the world, in our country, because I've traveled a lot of the world, and most of them truly love God, and they love God. We look at it, and we go, well, I've done my job, because I've done my part. Man, look how good I am. There's no freedom in it. It's selfishness. This morning, when we choose the freedom, we choose to be in bondage to making sure that we check off all the cool things that everybody thinks I have to check off on my box. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.